Welcome to the Pharos Fit Podcast, where we help you to explore your capacity to move better, push further, and achieve your limitless potential through fitness, nutrition, recovery, and lifestyle. Hey guys, welcome back to the Pharos Fit Podcast. Great to be back with you guys. I am here today with one of my dearest friends, Juliana Sanfelici. Can I say that right? Yes. Okay. It's good enough. It's good enough. Um, listen, guys, there's a lot of people in this world who say the phrase, I don't have time. What you're about to listen to is how much Juliana fits into her days, fits into her life, and you'll be ashamed that you ever said that, because she does so much. Uh, Juliana is generally one of my favorite people in the whole world. Um, she has such a good heart, such a good mission, such a good uh, way of looking at the world. You guys are going to love this story. So, Juliana, first of all, welcome. Thank you. Great to have you on the podcast. It's my pleasure. Um, do you, usually with these podcasts, I start with uh, your story. I want to hear about your story. Um, how you, obviously we're going to learn about where you're at right now and, and, the, and the ranch and everything like that. But I want to go right back um, to how you end up in Idlewild. Uh, for those of you that are listening, Juliana lives in Idlewild. She's one of my kind of neighbors up here. Um, and I want to learn about how you ended up here, what the story of that was, and you know how your kind of like early years so to speak, <laughs> kind of framed your view of the world and kind of put you in the position you are now. Well, okay. So I'm from Brazil originally, as you know, and I grew up in a more rural environment. My grandfather was a rancher. My dad had a farm when I was small. And we all, I always rode horses. I've been horseback riding since I was, since I can remember. And so I grew up in a environment that I felt was very connected to the land, very connected to the animals. And it was a very blissful childhood. And I lived there until I was 25. And that's when I decided to, you know, go for the American dream, dream move to the United States. And you know how, just like many other immigrants, just, you know, come here with a dream, not a lot of money, right. determined to make it in, in this world. And with that, I always lived in big cities. So I moved here. I lived in Miami first. Then I lived in Hawaii for three years, moved back to Miami, then lived in London, New York, LA. And this whole time I'm learning so much. I'm growing as a person. I'm working so hard, you know, to create a life for myself here and met my husband, Marcus. We were both living in LA at the time when we had our little girl, Antonia. And then it hit me, like, we've been living in large cities in this, you know, how do you say the rats? The rat race, yeah, Yeah, in the rat race. And now I have a child and I would love for her to experience a childhood. Like you have. Like I had, more, more connected to nature. Nature has always been important to me. The time I lived in London was because I was doing a master's in um, sustainable design. So I've always been very concerned about the environment. This has always been like a big part of my life was sustainability. And now I wanted to live it. I wanted to be close to it and live it again, not just, you know. Not just talk about it. Yes. Yeah. Because we we had like we had our little garden in the back of our house in Santa Monica and we always tried to do all the things, compost, recycle, do like all the the right things for urban living. But I'm like, I'm ready for more. 
Um, and I just want to touch on something because I talk about this a lot on the, on the podcast because it's such an important thing. You have an amazing work ethic and amazing drive. Where did that come from? Was that from your grandfather, your parents? Like, where did that? I think that uh, you know, it's it's a mixture of both my family because my family. They, they, you know, my grandpa was a rancher. You, you just work so hard all the time and you're always having to deal with nature mm. with you and against you, right? Like you yeah. have the elements are always there. Yeah. Dealing with farmland and animals is so hard. So always being a part of that and watching that is one thing. My dad always like such a hard worker. So work ethic was always there. But then when you come to the United States and you have to like really learn the language, but like I came to the US with not with any no money. So I had to work three jobs and but at the same time, all of that, like I I remember those times so fondly because you have a dream and you want to pursue it and you know create a life for yourself right. in the like I don't the United States is far from perfect, but it's a place of opportunity and it's a place where if you work hard, you can realize your dreams, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that's that's often overlooked. But I mean, a lot of people complain, a lot of people complain about the state of things and government and all that kind of stuff. Right. And I get it. There's a lot to complain about. But I mean, I'm just saying, right? I, I came here yeah. with, a, with a dream and like with an idea um, and it had been my dreams in childhood. That dream should never come kind of change. And this country's been very good to me. Like, um, I was able to come here. I was able to do what I wanted to do. Um, of course, I had obstacles. Like, you had obstacles. Like, everyone has obstacles. Yeah. But like you said, it allowed me the freedom to to build something special. Um, and there's, there's a lot of opportunity. Um, and, you know, the chance to gamble. You know, like, it's yeah. always a gamble. But not everyone has that opportunity to gamble. Like, a lot of people and a lot of, a lot of like, societies and, and structures will prevent you from kind of chasing those dreams. I totally experienced that in Brazil. Yeah. I feel like, you know, you just, you work really hard all the time and it's so hard to advance. And what is that? Just for people that are listening don't understand, what is it about Brazil that keeps people kind of... It's just, it's hard to explain. It's a developing country where there's a lot of people and employment is really high. Poverty levels are really high. It's very difficult to you know, to make money is a way harder hustle than it is here. I have to, right. it's just, it is. And there's so much violence and political unrest and social unrest that that becomes part of your everyday experience. And so I never forget how lucky I am to be here, to have opportunity to, you know, not be so worried about locking my doors and, right. you know, like, it's just, yeah. I'm, I don't worry about my child coming home from school or any of that. And unfortunately, that's not the reality I grew up with. You know, it's very, there's so many more challenges. Yeah, there's a lot of like potential danger. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been in these jobs, these three jobs you're working, you're going all around Europe and the United States. Uh, you met Marcus, you got married in LA, or were you married at that point? We weren't. We actually were together for 10 years before we got married. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then was he very similar to you in that kind of like dreamscape? As in like, you didn't really want that life? It was like, yes, I know he's very... Very much so. Marcus uh, is a photographer 
for a job, but his passion is and has always been in permaculture, connecting to the land. He always managed to have a little garden wherever we lived. And he went and took a permaculture course in Southern Mexico and learned so much and has always studied permaculture, regenerative agriculture. He's always studied it. And we really were ready to like get hands dirty and start putting some of that to practice. Marcus is one of my favorite people because (laughs) he's so humble and so understated. And yet he's kind of like, Madness level on my, on my scale of madness <laughs> is extremely high because he like does so much yeah like he can build anything um create anything plant anything like he'll build structures he'll build fences like he'll do yes. all that stuff but he's so humble with it and he would never be there's no bravado about him he's very kind of like you there's know, also what i love about him <laughs> yeah he's just so humble i love that um so uh you, you know you want to do this. You, you talk about the regenerative after. How did the opportunity come about? So for those of you that are listening, Juliana owns 40, 45. 45 acres of land in uh, Mount Center, which is just uh, close to Iowa, 10 minutes down the road. Um, can you tell them how, because it's not like you guys are for money, right? You, everything no. everything <laughs> you have worked so hard for. And when I say to people, on, uh, if I just say to people on podcast, oh, my friend Juliana owns 45 acres. I don't look at, oh my, she must, she must be rich. Like, how did she? Yeah, I did not inherit that. <laughs> she did not inherit it. She, she managed to get this land. So let's hear about how did that happen? How did you go from owning nothing to suddenly owning 45 acres? Well, we, we believe that you have to like set your mind and manifest things uh, to come your way. And we moved to Idlewild. We bought our house that sits on a quarter acre. And we were just, you know, saving our money and working hard and thinking about what our next step would be. Really, like, every day thinking about, like, how can we get more connected to the land? And how can we help also other people connect to their food source? Because people, the, the main thing behind all of this is feeling that people are disconnected from their food source. Mm. That's like a huge, a huge thing for me and for Marcus as well. And we moved to Idlewild and just a few months after we moved here, there was a big fire. We had to evacuate. It was very scary. This is 2018? Yes, 2018. The Cranston fire. It was very scary. We had to rush out of the house. I didn't even grab a toothbrush. Like we couldn't come home for like a week. And that fire destroyed a lot of our forest and the surrounding areas. It did not destroy our town, luckily. But then there's a piece of land on the side of that hill that got burned and that it was way out of our price range. But after the fire, when everything looked black and barren, the owner of that land lowered the price by like, First, I think 100,000, then 200,000. And then mm. we're like, wait, what? This is like, we could actually potentially do this. Right, right. So, of course, we didn't have the cash. We had to come up with a business plan to apply for an agricultural loan. Right. And we did that and got the loan and then made an offer and were able to get that land for almost half of the wow. original cost. So, for people that don't know, what, what is an agricultural loan? Uh, so you go through the, um, like, if you're getting a mortgage, you get 
a mortgage. You can't get a mortgage for land. It has to be a, a different type of loan. So the USDA has all these agencies similar to what a mortgage Let's has, like the, yeah. I forget what those agencies are, but you can get then an agricultural loan just like you would get for a mortgage, but it, it's for right. agricultural yeah. land where your down payment has to be a lot higher right. and you have to have a plan right. what to, you yeah, to yeah. show them that that land is viable for what you want to do. Mm. And then you have to go out and do it. So what was your, what, what did you envision when you, when you thought about 45 acres? What were you thinking? Like, what do you, what do you want that to look like? Yeah, we, in permaculture is a lot of having, a little bit of everything or a little bit of many, many different things. So, cause that's how the ecosystem then will balance itself and you can create that, that balance within your farm. So you can't just like monocultures are so bad for the environment and- So bad for the soil. Oh, yeah. it destroys the soil. Yeah. And also it weakens the plants and then you need more fertilizer, you need more, yeah you know, uh, insecticide and things like cycle. it's a vicious cycle. Indeed. So yeah. when you have a lot of diversity in your land, everything is stronger and everything then is able to have, you, you will have a little bit of pests, but everything will be able to thrive and create that balance within that unit. It's almost like you're creating your own little ecosystem within yeah. your, your property. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we, we wrote down. We said that we would have a permaculture farm and that entails having different sources of income, like bees for honey and for wax and all these the things that bees can help you with, not just pollinating, obviously, yeah. your own crops. Then a garden and mainly a, a big orchard. And that's our biggest plan is the, the orchard where we'll have stone fruit, apples and pears, which are the things that thrive up here. And we also want to plan and envision having like a lot of uh, local herbs and things that we can make teas and tinctures and all of the, you know, we can hopefully provide other people that can then we can buy from us and then go ahead and make herbal remedies and all those things. And then we plan to have uh, geese and ducks yeah. and uh, eggs. for nice. eggs and yeah. yeah, for eggs. And also because they bring a lot of benefits to the land as well. Right. All the animals uh, have a role to play. They eat insects, like, they eat insects, yeah. they eat the slugs, they, you know, they play a big role. They also help to keep, like we want to have a pond. So they help to keep the pond healthy and help to create a lining for the pond so it doesn't leak. Right. So there's everything is so interconnected. It's right. really beautiful. And a great documentary on this guy's is called The Biggest Little Farm. Uh, it's one of my Julian's favorite documentaries, and it talks a lot about this the ecosystem, how everything contributes towards the environment. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful. They are our inspiration. Yeah. Like, we've watched the documentary so many times, we follow them closely on yeah. social media and love to see what they're doing because it's their what they're doing is very inspirational. It's called Apricot Lane Farms. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's an incredible story and real, you know, it's, it's a real showcase of what can be done if you're willing to put in the work. Because it does take a lot of work. It's, yeah. it's it's not an easy thing to do, but it's the right thing to do. I mean, I talk about this all the time on the podcast. This kind of like regenerative farming revolution is, is it, we all know it's the way to go. It's just whether people are willing to do it, whether the government is willing to support it um, and discourage, um, you know, traditional factory farming. Yes. Um, not, it's not going to happen overnight, obviously, but there should be a, a 
a movement towards it. And there is a movement towards it. You know, I would say right now it's kind of an underground movement. Yeah. It's gathering momentum. But the more eyes you can get it, the more people are paying attention. Hopefully people will start to understand it. You know, this and is the way. Most importantly, I think that then touches on people's diet. Yeah. Because that's another passion of mine. It's like I want to eat very healthy. I want to be very connected to everything that I'm eating. And unfortunately, I feel lately with very good intentions, people want to create labels for diets and think that that is better for the environment. So, so many people think that by being vegan, they're really helping the environment. Mm. But I would hate to break it to them that large grazing animals are a huge part of regenerating the soil. Right. And eating a lot of, uh, like, you don't want to drink milk, you're drinking almond milk. Don't even get me started on how that hurts the bees because all of those massive almond crops are all pollinated by bees that travels hundreds of thousands of miles by truck and then get there and have to pollinate those uh, almond orchards. And it's only almond because they don't let anything else grow. It's a monoculture and that weakens the hive with all the pesticides and them Mm. not having a diversity of food. And then they come home after traveling all that time and they're weak and then the hive collapses. And then now we have like a huge crisis on on the bee population. So- And and not to mention the amount of water it takes to- Yeah, not to think about that. So we think we're, by having one sort of diet or another, we think that we're helping the environment, but this is not the case. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because people are, you can find out this information if you look, you know, if you care, but a lot of people will take information at face value. So they're told something and they're like, they're told it's better for the environment. It's like, oh, I'm going to do this because it's better for the environment, but they haven't really done the research and they don't really understand all the nuances that are involved and all the complications that go into that, that product. Um, but there's so a lot of conflicting information out there too, because all the lobbying and all the right. big, yeah. you know, companies. And, and you're you saying this as you know, a, a vegetarian. Yes, I I know, choose to be a vegetarian for different, for different reasons. reasons. Yeah, it's like you know, you, you're you're wise enough and wealthy enough to look at the big picture and say like, this is my choice for my job, but I'm not doing it because I think it's better, you know, for the environment. I'm doing it because it's you know the right choice for me, like mentally, physically, all that kind of stuff. But um, you're right, it's, it's a, you know, people have kind of led themselves to believe one thing because they're told one thing, but the truth, if you really look at it and really get down deep into it, is, is very, very different, unfortunately. I think that the, the thing we can do that has the biggest impact when it comes to, like, choosing what we eat is really supporting the people that are doing it right. Right. So if you find if you find a great farmer that has that practice regenerative grazing that is creating their cattle or creating you know, raising their cattle in a humane way and then by all means support them because we need more of that. Mm. You know. 100%. I mean that's why that's why I get myself from Richards that's so hard to promote them as much just because you know I know those guys but you know there are a lot of there are a lot of farms doing this now if you really look. You have you to. You just have to look and you can't rely. You, you were talking about this before, but one of the biggest problems with society is convenience. Everybody totally. just wants the convenience. The five-minute meal, the I just want to go to one store and buy everything. Um, I just need a snack, so I'm just going to go and buy this. Um, and it's all garbage. It's all trash. It's all just designed to keep people addicted. Craving. Craving, addicted. Um and yeah, it's 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 not giving people energy to thrive. It's just kind of these 
calorie useless empty calories and just making people sick, making people overweight, making people obese, um, make, making people mentally uh, affected in a negative way. No. Um, so yeah, it's, we owe it to ourselves as well as to the planet, as well as to the farmers to really pay attention, to really educate and be very, very thoughtful about what, where we're behind our food from and what's in it. And, you know, another thing is labeling on stuff. Um, more of us need to pay attention to labeling. Like if we look at the true ingredients, because you know how it is, you look at that, it'll say like organic this or farm raised this, or it'll say something on the title, but when you flip yeah. and look at the back, you see all these other ingredients and like, what the fuck is this stuff? I mean, like sweet potatoes is a classic thing. Like you buy like real sweet potatoes, it's one thing. If you go and buy sweet potato fries, you might think it's the same thing. You might think, oh, it's just sweet potatoes carved up. Yeah. Flip that packet, look on the back, you will see modified cornstarch, you will see sugar, you will see canola oil, you'll see all the other fucking shit that they pile into it to make it taste better, to make it more addictive, to make it last longer, all that kind of stuff. So we just all need to be paying more attention to what's already happening. Absolutely. And with that is where the real work of being a vegan or a vegetarian, it gets really challenging because sure. I can say that as a vegetarian, that I want to have this diet is the diet I chose for myself, but I need to one, make sure I got enough protein as I've been recently learning <laughs> since I've been working out with you guys. Uh, you have to want to eat whole foods and yeah. not processed right. crap. So yeah. it it is so much more challenging to choose a diet like this that I feel like if half of the vegans and vegetarians out there were like, okay, I'm just, I'm going to eat only whole foods and I'm going to be a vegan or a vegetarian. It takes a lot of work. And I think it's beautiful work. I love doing the work because I'm like, I am not going to go for the packaged snack or the veggie burger or the fake meat. I don't do that. Mm. I am going to have to get all my protein for, from my chicken's eggs because I don't want to get the factory farm eggs. I want to get the yogurt that I make at my house with the organic milk that's grass fed. It is challenging. Yeah. It's so much work. It's work that I love and it's rewarding to me. But if you can't do that, then you might as well just have a more broad diet yeah. where you yeah. can really eat whole foods that are like yeah, not processed or packaged. I think, you, I think you hit it on the head. Like a lot of the problem is people are making processed options because they do not, they don't take the time or have not educated themselves enough in what's real and what's not real. Um, and the whole fake meat thing also drives me nuts and drives me nuts because it's not real food. And, and like, a lot of soy. Right. And one of my uncles was, it was a soy farmer for a minute. And let me tell you, it ain't pretty. The damage it causes to the earth and all the animals that live on that earth, it's right. terrible. Like it's, it's one of the most damaging monocultures there is. Right. And, and, if you follow all these trails, you know, back, it's always all about money. Yeah. There's always someone making a lot of money off this stuff. You know, they'll push an agenda with it. They'll say it's because of this and because of that. Let me tell you, it's all about money. Um, you know, a lot of this land has been, uh, being bought up to, to build these kind of soy farms, to, to make this fake meat, to make these fake products. It's all uh, monoculture. It's all terrible for the soil. It's all destroying the planet. But people are buying it because they think it's better for the environment. Yes. But it is not. And it's not better for your body either. Um, you know, a lot of when we do the challenges, stuff like that, like we were just saying about the protein, 
the biggest problem is always, you know, trying to get people to eat real food and trying to get enough quality macronutrients from the real food and not resorting to, to fake stuff, processed stuff, man-made stuff, and all, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's difficult. But like you said, you just have to be really prepared, well-educated, and really take the time to invest in yourself because there's nothing more important than your health and your body. Like that's without that, you know, my grandmother always used to say, like, without your health, there's nothing. It's true. Like, if you're not, if you don't have your health, what do you have? Nothing. You know, you don't have energy for yourself. You don't have energy for your family. You're not setting good examples. It's, you know. And it comes back to like the nutrients that your food has. Like, not every vegetable is created equal. Mm. The broccoli that is raising, that I'm, I'm growing next to the carrot, next to the basil that is like in a regenerative farming environment, it is not the same broccoli that you buy from Probably. whatever big, big farm. Yeah. 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 And so you want food. And also, I don't know if people talk enough about this. Like, vegetables, they need to be stressed. A little bit of, stress from uh, the environment is good for the plant because it creates more right. nutrients. Yeah. Whereas a, a, a vegetable that is grown like in a perfect environment with pesticides and, uh, and enough, you know, fake, fake uh, fertilizers and all that stuff, it's, it's just not giving the plant a chance to, to give you its best. And also, if you're going down that kind of vegetarian route, it's very easy to just eat carbohydrates all oh, the yeah. time, right? And that's that's another big problem. People just like it's just so carb dense, and their sugars, sugar levels go up. All carbs are sugars at the end of the day; they're all sugar in the bloodstream at yeah. some point. And it's very just easy to just like constantly be snacking towards the carbs and never never really getting protein in. I notice, I notice in myself when uh, I'm home and I'm not traveling and I'm like giving my full attention to my diet and all of the, like I eat an insane amount of vegetables and not a lot of carbs, but then when you're traveling and when you're, you know, your life gets busy, you end up like my default is that I don't eat, which is not a good thing because then right. I'm not nourishing my body enough. Yeah. And then that's, and that's another trap you can fall into because there are so many bad options. Like I just can't make a choice because it's all bad. Yeah. So you end up not eating anything, which is what like you said, another, another huge, uh, problem. What other um, challenges and pitfalls have you had with with the farm? Yeah, so it's um, it's been very uh, challenging and rewarding at the same time. We we got the land and it was completely burned, but that for us was an advantage because mm -hmm. our dream was always to start from scratch. Yep. And when you have a fire, it also fixes a lot of nutrients to the soil. So it's actually good for what we wanted, even though anyone that would walk up would see all those black yeah. trees and be like, oh my gosh, that's overwhelming. And it is, but uh, the main thing that we're doing the first year was that we just sat and observed. That's like rule number one of permaculture is to observe the land, how it behaves around you for uh, each of the seasons, how the shadows cast in different parts, how everything behaves, you know, as the, the weather changes. So we then decided by observing all that, where we want to plant trees, because you don't want shade over our road during the winter time, because then the snow is not going to melt. So oh. all of those things, you're just observing where the snow melt mm. travels, 
And that gave us an opportunity to then, oh, this is where all the snow melt goes down the mountain. So we dammed a section and then uh, dug a pond. So we are going to be able to then capture all the water so nothing goes to waste. Mm -hmm. So we've been working on that. Um, uh, Fixing the soil is also like one of the first things you want to do. So you want to avoid the soil to be uh, barren. Yes. You want it to be covered. So planting cover crop and using mulch to help the soil be then start getting becoming more rich and prepare for planting. So we got a wood chipper and we got a tractor and we've been like chipping all of the dead trees, making wood chips, creating mulch and planting cover crop and wildflowers. So last year we planted all these wildflowers. We just gathered seeds and uh, propagated everywhere. And this spring, it was so beautiful. We had purple and yellow flowers everywhere. And then we brought in our bees that we used to have them at our house. And now we're, we have them at the farm and we're getting more. So the bees have been so happy and I've, the hive is so healthy. It's really encouraging. Wow. Um, we have been struggling a lot with erosion because, you know, since the soil was barren, every big rain every we had, so yeah. much erosion. So we're planting cover crop. We're um, using a lot of a mix of horse manure and wood chips to uh, cover some of those ditches that were created by the erosion and really trying to protect the soil is our number one mission. And then this this uh, spring and summer, we've been working on clearing a whole hillside where we're <clears throat> gonna have our orchard. We already have the trees, the trees are all planted. We've been taking care of them. They've been growing beautifully. And then now it's the time that we're gonna start planting the trees. And then during the fall and winter, they're gonna be you know, taking all that humidity that we get during, yeah. during the winter time, all the snow, they'll then, be ready for next spring. And How so. long does it take, once you plant the trees, how long does it take for that tree to then produce? Well, some of them are already producing a little bit in the pots. I think um, mm. they, I don't, I honestly don't know how long it's going to take for us to have a fully producing orchard. This is a side hustle for both of us. Right. We all have no, our, our yeah, yeah, we're learning as we go. We are by no means experts in any of this, right? Like we are just researching, learning, taking classes online and learning from the experience, right. you know? Right. Tell me about the pigs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, <laughs> we're doing this experiment. It's a very old uh, permaculture technique where you use livestock to help line uh, the pond. So we hired an excavator, one of our friends here in Idlewild. He dug it out. We created the barrier, which is where the water was running down right. the mountain. So that is the part we found the perfect place. We dug it out, created the dam. And then <clears throat> what you do is you bring pigs in because they are very, um, they dig with their nose mm-hmm. and they stomp things around in a way that creates like that slimy layer. Because they love mud, right? So they're just like frolicking in the mud nonstop all spring and summer. And so they create that slimy layer. And we've already seen the results. The the few rains we've been getting in this late summer, it's just where the pigs have been. It doesn't, 
it doesn't leak. It, it stays. Just it. it just captures it. Wow. So we've been letting them work. And then we're going to get, uh, once the next thing we're going to do is dig a well. So once we have the well, we can fill the pond more. Then we're going to get the geese, which also help create that that liner and then if we need we'll also use a little bit of bentonite which is that clay that right. you use yeah. that you buy mm -hmm. but we wanted to see how much we could do naturally with old techniques i don't oh. think we're going to be able to do the whole thing that way but it's interesting because we're just learning you know and it's right. it's really fun to see how things were done on the old days too yeah and it's it's the best way to do it uh, but you're not going to have cattle or anything like that right? we will we it will won't. because uh large grazing animals are key to restoring the soil. Yeah. So I don't think we're gonna like eat them, but we right. will, we we're gonna have them because, and also I think we want to have maybe goats for milk, right? And um, definitely cattle. We're definitely gonna get mono milk Yes, because cattle is just like it's. They call the cattle manure is the green gold right. because it's so good for the soil. Yeah. yeah, and they what they do is that they graze. And they poop and they pee and then they move on. It's yeah. like the, the sin in um, cattle breeding is that you don't, you can't let them stay in one place. You, you have, have to, to rotate, rotate them yeah. so that you give the, the soil a chance to then take all those nutrients and grow rather than like being constantly stomped on. When you do, when you do cattle rotation, how, so you divide the land up into sections, right? And they're going to yeah. be on one section. For yeah. A while, and then you move to the next section. How long do you leave them in one section before you move them on? You know, we're thinking about it, it depends on how many you have. So I think the more I, the more intense the grazing, the right. faster you have to move them on. But I think that if you have like a four acre section and you have just a few head, you can move them on in like a few months. Mm, all a few months. Yeah, that's mm. that's what I'm thinking we'll do. But okay. like I said, we're learning as we go and we want to see how the land behaves because there's so many things that play into that. How much rain you get, wow. how much, how steep it is. So all of that, there's no precise recipe. Right. You know, you I'm have to, to look, monitor, and then learn as, as you see things happening. That's the beauty of this kind of agriculture is that you're interacting with the land constantly you're not just studying another book and then applying blindly you know okay guys so here's what's going to blow your mind everything we just talked about this is not juliana's mother's actual job no this is a side <laughs> hustle all right you would think like taking this on running a farm trying to start a farm from scratch working with the animals doing all this stuff is a full-time job which it kind of is but they both have other real jobs so what's your what's your real job <laughs> i'm a footwear designer right yeah i work for um awesome Hawaiian brands called Olukai. I love my job. I'm, I don't have, I didn't start this because I wasn't happy in my career. It's just because it's another passion I have. Right, yeah. Right. And Marx is a photographer, right? Marx is a photographer, yes. And also, this is all gonna, also going to blame mine, uh, Marcus runs your, you own this little shop together with yeah. Marcus uh, and it's called? Jute. Jute. And it sells? Well, it sells all the stuff we use at the farm. So right. when we started this project, we learned that it was very hard to find good quality tools and things that lasted because mm -hmm. nowadays everything's made in China and it's all this right. like really poor quality tools and objects that they don't last long. Don't last long. Yeah. So we started doing all this research to get like all the best Japanese tools, all the 
you know, things that would last a long time made in America. Like we found all these wonderful, beautiful tools. Cause also like I work in fashion, Marcus is a photographer. Right. We like things to be pretty. Yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful store and everything in there, you can just see the quality. Like if you go to Home Depot and then go to Duke Competitor Tools, like you'll see it's it's just miles apart. Like Juliana was saying, all this stuff is so is quality made in, in the US and Japan, and it's just everything is just so well crafted and self-structured. You hold it in your hand, like I bought that axe from you, you just feel the quality and it's a totally different thing. So if you come to Idlewell, you've got to check it out. Oh, we have a website now. Too. Oh, your website, what's the website? It's Duke Mercantile. DukeMercantile.com. Check it out, guys. So yeah, we learned like, because part of the mission is like, we don't want to create waste. We don't want to, you know, just buy disposable things. So by like, we, as we learned what our favorite tools and objects were for, like I was going through a pair of deerskin gloves a month. Right. And then I found this really sturdy buffalo gloves. I'm like, that, that's what I'm talking about. I want everyone to buy things that they're going to last that are going to last for a long right. time. Yeah. And now recently, um, this lovely person that works with us, Adam, he's been making things with stuff that we get at the land as well. So our goal is to one day at our shop sell candles made from our beeswax, uh, you know, cutting bars made from the wood that we yeah. we cut from our land and all those things. And it all comes full circle. Full circle. It's like what my dad used to call a false economy. Like you buy something because it's cheap, but then you'll keep buying it. Whereas yes. if you buy something that's quality, because it'll last you 10, 20, 30 years. I've been going to China for 15 years, 12 years now for work. And I've I see how the manufacturing and the like the transparency and all the like it's hard, like it's not impossible, but uh, it's harder to get things that are made with quality right. like that. And most of our the tools that we buy, like we, I remember there was a weekend that I think we went to three spades, through three shovels, right, right. and they all broke where the, you know, where the spade meets the handle. Right. And we're like, what the hell? So then we found these amazing Japanese spades that are cast in one piece metal. Last, last spade you're ever going to buy. Yeah. That's the goal, you know, it's one thing yeah. that's going to last forever. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, you got to check out this website. You got to go to the store. It's beautiful, beautiful <laughs> stuff. Thank um, you. And, you know, it, it's just so everything like I've been like talking about for the last kind of couple of years. I feel like you and Marcus are kind of doing it. As in, you're, you're selling real products that um, are being made the way things should be made. You're, you're farming in the way that things should be farmed. Your your life vision and your you know your the way that you look at the world is what's going to save the world. That that kind of mentality, that kind of passion, that kind of like return to the the old ways, the ways that things should be done before people just got so lazy. Before, not even just lazy, but you know the focus the focus just got so much on profit and economics and quick fast and and quick fast. Like we talk about convenience and urgency. Um, people just start cutting corners and just start making shit and start doing things badly. And only now, you know, do we see the real repercussions of that. Like everything that's happening now, it's not because of what we're doing now. 
we started these bad habits in like 1950 before yeah. you know it's just been this trajectory that's that's really just led us to this kind of like point and thankfully i think you know we're suddenly all waking up it's like oh we really fucked up like we, we started doing these things yeah. we started like buying everything from china we started buying convenience foods we started eating too many grains we started putting chemicals on everything and for the longest time it was like the world kind of got away with it. Yeah. And now it's like people are waking up, people are understanding, people are realizing the damage it's done. And it's like, oh, fuck, we got to do something about it. And we are seeing the effects of climate change right now. And I think right. that was also one of the reasons why like, this is so healing for us is because I can only speak for myself, but I have so much climate change anxiety and the world that's going to be left for my daughter mm. that doing something helps me yes, feel better for sure. because every time that I'm capturing the rainwater, I am, you know, planting things the way they should be planted, that we're, you know, bringing pollinators into our land. Like that helps me cope yeah. with my climate change anxiety. And it's not just climate change anxiety. It's like, uh, mine is more like uh, the way the world is being run anxiety. Like you look at, I always say like, we just put the wrong people in charge of the world. When you look totally. at people who are, who are in politics, when you look at people who are, who are in governance, look at people calling the shots, it's the wrong people. These are, these are, I always go back to like Native American tribes where it was like the wisest in the group became the elders of the group. They became the leaders. They become the people who go to for advice. Like the people that are running the world are not the people that I would go to for advice. No. They, are not, they are not the wisest. They are just the people with the big enough ego uh, and the big enough power hunger to want to go into into politics. Um, so that that's where my anxiety comes with. Like the people running the world are doing it for the wrong reasons and have been. It's the last unfortunate, yeah. And my boss often says that trees don't grow to the sky. Infinite growth is not reasonable, and we're gonna run our planet to the ground because we right. all have this growth expectation that. It's just right. not, it's not possible. Just do the math. It's, right. it's right. not possible. How do you, because you have family. Yes. You have a beautiful daughter who I love, Antonia's uh, wife's girl crush. Um, <laughs> how do you balance that? How do you balance all these things um, and a child and, and how does it all work? You know, it's, um, it's not easy. And I often, I struggle with anxiety. It's something that, you know, I've struggled with for many years. And isn't it funny that you struggle with anxiety and then you put all this stuff on your plate? It, and that's often yes, the way so yes. that the most anxious, like they yeah. take on the most. But I I also find it very rewarding mm -hmm. and it's all about prioritizing, right? Like I didn't used to work out, and then I only used to do yoga, and then my body started to feel like I needed to get stronger. Mm -hmm. Um and I started working out with you guys and it completely changed my life. And I just make the time. Right. Like then I make an appointment. It's a standing appointment in my calendar. And I just, it, it, I, I make it happen because yeah. you it's all about priorities, you know, yeah. it's like. And also you're, you're such a great mom, such a great mother. Um, like when I look at Antonia, she's such a like pure kid. Like why is this much of me back and forth? She's such a spoiled kid. Um, I love the books. But um, Antonia is very kind of like, the way you've raised it was kind of very simple. She only has like, like a handful of toys. Yeah. Um, she's 
kind of like a scrubby little mountain kid. Who just yeah, loves, she has an axe just like yours. A little. <laughs> she's like, um, yeah, she's like a like a mountain warrior child. Um, I love her bits. Um, how, was that a very conscious decision from the outset to raise? Absolutely, that way? absolutely. Was she raised that way in LA, or was it when you got here? But she was only two so when we moved here. But I think going back to like time and priorities, how much more time would we all have if we didn't spend time scrolling on social media? If we right. just went to bed yeah. at like nine thirty or ten, because that's you know, or like if if we all go to bed early and wake up early and don't waste time on Netflix, on Instagram, we would have so much more time. Right. I'm also guilty of those things. Yeah. I also want, watch yeah. Yellowstone yeah. and yeah. <laughs> scroll Instagram. It is the best show. But you just, you know, you have to limit that. And I think that we all waste too much time we with we crap. And one thing we're, we're trying to, one of the reasons we moved to obviously was for Wyatt and to get him outside more and do stuff. And obviously, I'm telling you, you, don't, you guys don't even own a TV, right? No. So she barely watches any TV apart from when she comes here to watch Pokestar. <laughs> um, so and true. It's, it's, you know, it, you, you're really doing things, you know, the right way and the way that you live your life and the way that the example that you set for home is, is just so amazing. And to add to this, guys, uh, Juliana also, you know, rides horses. She has a, a horse that she, she keeps down in Gala Valley, which is, you know, 30 minutes down the road, which she has to like tend to every day. So in addition to all the jobs, all the farming stuff, raising a family, having a daughter, she also takes care of a horse, which is which anyone that has a horse knows uh, the amount of work that takes. She's also like one of my favorite uh, riding partners. She takes me out and looks after me. So I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's just the, the, the way you've managed to fit so much in and, and live such a kind of thriving life. And I know you have anxiety with it. I know it's a lot. But just know that you're doing a great job and it's inspiring. And anybody would look at your life and think, oh my God, she's doing it right. Thank you for saying that. It's hard to know when you're in it, uh, we often feel overwhelmed. For sure. We often look at how much money we're spending and we're also like overwhelmed by that. But in the end, it's it's all worth it. It's and worth it. Yeah. And it's, it's always good to hear you say that because sometimes... You know, you, you doubt forget. yourself and you forget. You, you doubt yourself, you forget, you um you take not you, you take what you have for granted. But like I said, other people would look at your life and think, oh my god, this is incredible. I look at your life and think, oh my god, this is incredible. Uh, and when you're in it and when you're under it, sometimes you can forget that. But um yeah, you're, you're doing a great job. So don't worry about that. Juliana, thank you so much for coming in. Thank um, you for like having said, me. You're one of my favorite people. I love you. I think you're doing such an incredible job. Um, I feel the same you. way towards you guys. Thank <laughs> you for looking after me with the horses. Um, hopefully we're going to do a lot more uh, riding in future. I know we will have ambitions for um, more horses, bigger ranches, and all that kind of stuff. So um, I'm very grateful that we met you and Marcus and Antonia. You're a big part of our lives. Um, guys, if you want to uh, if you want to reach out um, to Juliana or see what she's doing, uh, we said before, there's the Duke Mercantile website, which is dukemercantile.com. Yes. Um, how else can we do you? Well, uh, we just started just started an Instagram to document the, jo- the journey of uh, our yeah. ranch, yeah. and it's called Bosque El Sereno. Uh, I don't know if you can put that on the show notes. Yeah, but, we can yeah. Um, so you can also reach uh, reach us okay. through there and follow our journey. It's been it's been it's, fun. It's, it's well worth following, guys. Um, 
like I said, this is really the way should, that, that things should be done, the way that farming should be done, the way that life should be lived. Um, and I think we can all learn a lot from, from Juliana and Marcus and, and the way that they're doing things. Thank you so much for listening today, guys. Uh, great podcast. Um, I love this stuff. Um, <laughs> and it fascinates me. It kind of like gives me, uh, inspires me. Um, because it's easy to look at the world and think everything's fucked. But there are people out there who are genuinely trying to fix it and fix it in the right way. And we should be paying attention to those people and learn from them. Until next time, guys, take care. I'll see you soon. Bye.